everyone and welcome to the 57th episode of DF Direct Weekly. It's our weekly show where we discuss the latest gaming and technology news uh, in a kind of dry spot for news, which makes the whole point of this show quite challenging, but we shall persist nonetheless. Uh, joining me to discuss it, first of all, John Linneman. Rich, good to be here, uh, I think at least. I mean, the, the news is slim, but we have some interesting things to discuss today. Absolutely, and of course, Alex Batalia. You know, th this can become a DF variety show if all else fails in the dry weeks. You just bring on guests, do game show stuff. Yeah, you could do some singing, uh, ventriloquist acts perhaps, that'd be awesome. Okay, look, <laughs> let's uh, crack on and talk about uh, the paucity of news. <laughs> and our first news story this week. Okay, so this one is quite interesting. Um, Kingdom Hearts 4 had a revealed trailer and basically the concept of Kingdom Hearts 4 being announced at all lends further credence uh, to what we refer to here as Jensen's Prophecy, <laughs> which is essentially uh, a while back there was a leak of, uh, from GeForce Now, which seems to show the entire roadmap for the uh, software industry going forward years. <laughs> and yes, Kingdom Hearts 4 was on this list and it has been revealed. Thus far, the uh, Jensen's Prophecy has a 100% accuracy rating, I believe. Um, but John, I'm going to go to you first because, um, well, what do you reckon of the trailer itself? I was actually impressed with it. I saw some critique, but I really liked the way it looked. I thought that... Uh, it kind of has a neat vibe that's sort of like overcast Tokyo look with that a lot of indirect lighting. And I like the changes they made to the character designs. I think Sora in this one actually looks more like a Sion Barzad from uh, The Bouncer. You know, if they can get Ko Lefo in there, I'm all about it. But I was, I was thinking, though, that the fact that I do like the way it looks makes me wonder if fans of Kingdom Hearts do not because I am not a fan of Kingdom Hearts. Um, I mean, it's it has some neat ideas, but I never really liked the way it played and the whole the storytelling is just kind of going off the rails. But uh, this does almost feel like a clean break, and I have to wonder if it will be. You know what I mean? Like, it just has... It lacks that intense busyness that we saw in pre-release media uh, from prior games. I don't know what you guys think, but... I, I mean, I guess I guess the main thing to talk about here is the fact that it's Unreal Engine Five, right? That was the obvious thing, right? Like you can see the off-screen reflections of the giant monster in the in the building. Uh, I was getting weird, like uh, what was the name of that game that was never came out? It was like Final Fantasy Thirteen Versus vibes from it. I don't really know why, but I mean, it um, kind of reminds it, me of Final Fantasy Fifteen itself in some of the mm -hmm. city environments. Exactly right. Uh, so maybe there's some continuity there in terms of, I don't know, design that we're going to be seeing. Uh, but uh, the trailer itself was interesting. I don't actually know uh, in the end how it'll uh, pan out because we have, you know, we have yet to see Unreal Engine 5 uh, running in anything other than demo form uh, in a lot of places. And, you know, I'm just curious to see what stuff sticks and what doesn't in the end there. Uh, regarding the Jensen's prophecy, you know, peace be upon him. There is um gotta get that there's trendy. so much <laughs> hashtag yeah, Jensen's prophecy. Hashtag Jensen's prophecy hashtag. Uh peace be about him. Um there's so many really awesome games in that list. Uh and so many of them have come true. You know, we've seen God of War come out, uh come into existence, uh, you know, 
I think Cry Crisis 4 was also the one where it's like, there's no way that's happening. But yes, it is happening. Um, so I just think this list, uh, other than the uh, the obviously canceled projects, like uh, there have already been discussions, you know, like that this list contains entries of things that at one point in time were in development, but then ceased. Uh, like the obvious one, I think, is Titanfall 3, uh, where that most definitely is not coming back because they've already announced that they're working on like six or 7,000 uh, Star Wars projects there at Respawn. Um, and, you know, so I think this list in the end <clears throat> is really awesome. It points out a lot of games that I'm really excited about for coming to PC and specifically one that I uh, talked about and put in my game of the year list video last year was Returnal. Uh, that is also on the list, uh, even at a point in time, I think it was before Returnal, you know, like there's Returnal had just come out when this list uh, was leaked. Uh, so, it, yeah, that is definitely going to be coming to PC and I cannot wait to see it. I will say my one complaint with this trailer specifically is that it's something that they did in Kingdom Hearts 3 as well. They're not using uh, motion blur during the gameplay segments. And I don't know why. It's exactly what they did in Kingdom Hearts 3, and they seem to be doing it again. Uh, I suspect it's just somebody working on the team. One of the, the designers just decided they don't like the way it looks, and they've opted to disable it. But uh, I really wish it was present because I think it would really sell the visuals as looking more CGI like uh, in motion. For sure. Um, you know, I think, you know, one thing that probably ties into that, didn't Kingdom Hearts 3 also have like a really wonky unlocked frame rate in, uh, in uh, its normal gameplay as well too. Indeed, yes. In, in yeah, its original it form, yeah, uh, yeah. It was basically solved once it moved over to um, the next gen consoles. If you played on like a PS5 or a Series X, then it's like locked 60, but... Yeah, that would also be something that motion blur would definitely help a lot <laughs> with some frame rate issues, yeah. Well, it is Unreal Engine 5, and uh, perhaps unsurprisingly, what we did get to see was a city, mm -hmm. <laughs> which seems to be what, <laughs> what Unreal Engine is really good at, basically. Well, it's sort of needs rocks. some rocks in there. Rocks Cities and, rocks. and rocks. That's why <laughs> there, we need MotorStorm made in Unreal Engine 5 now. Because like okay. that, the Valley of the Ancients is perfect for it. Like just there's, oh, it is. there's yeah, some buggies in there and it's all good. You could run over that character from the original demos and watch it ragged all around the screen. It'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah, that'd <Wow>. be great. <laughs> yeah. Is there anything more to say about Kingdom Hearts 4? Because obviously it's early days at the moment and um, you know they're keeping most of their powder dry, I'd say, based on the content. Two things. Uh, they removed the clown shoes. So Sora has like normal size feet now, it seems, or at least smaller <laughs> shoes, normal which is a very shoes. positive change. Uh, secondly, there was a teaser time, for the Star Wars stuff in there, which is fascinating. And I'm curious to see what they do there. This, so. this game's storyline, I don't know, man. It's like metaverse crap. I, I mean, I can't complain it... about it because people, a lot of people love that. It's just not for me. <laughs> So did you check out when uh, the characters from Frozen turned up, John? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> You're a big Frozen fan, then. I, I've never seen Frozen. I've, I've uh, managed to avoid I. this. That's your loss. Okay, so... Uh, <laughs> uh, well, that's Kingdom Hearts 4, I guess, as I said, very early days. We'll get to see more further on down the line, I guess. Um but uh, yeah, we actually did have a supporter question related to Jensen's prophecy from Valger. What game on the profit list, courtesy of NVIDIA, are you most looking forward to? So you're kind of 
I guess you've already uh, made your pitch, right, Alex? Returnal. Mm-hmm. From my perspective, it's got to be Crisis Four, which uh, <laughs> which has now been confirmed. Further confirmation of the uh, veracity of Jensen's prophecy. Uh, well, I saw Metal Gear Solid Two and Three on there, specifically like HD again. And if they were to do a new enhanced version of that, I I would like that. You know. Uh, especially if it was more than just the original HD release, but like a further touched up enhanced version. Uh, I think that would be awesome to see. Well, there's been rumors circulating for years now that uh, MGS 2 and 3 were redone on the Fox engine. Man, and, see, uh, like, oh. And then there's the pachinko, so the pachinko uh, machine in Japan that has lots of cutscenes from, the, uh, I think, MGS 3. Uh, actually remade in the Fox engine, seemingly. That would be perfect because you could essentially, uh, you could remove the the split map design of two specifically and uh, introduce the more nuanced controls of Metal Gear Solid Five, and I think really do some interesting gameplay design based on those original games. I think it would be a lot of work to do it well if you really wanted to fully remake them. So I'm not sure if Konami's willing to spend the money to go that far, but... I sure, I sure hope they do. Just, you know, because I, I don't really trust them necessarily to be able to make a new game at this point in that series. They don't have the internal studios capable of that, I don't think. Uh, although they could farm it out, of course. But I don't know. I'd like to see it. So this one dropped just as we were about to film. And um, essentially, it looks like the next generation patch for The Witcher 3 is in uh, a state of limbo at the moment. Uh, CD Projekt Red has taken back uh, the project from an unnamed third-party studio and uh, has essentially said, okay, we're, we're in command now and uh, we've got no release date uh, for this project whatsoever. When originally it was due to be released in Q2, when you know, we're in Q2 now. Um, I don't know, John, any thoughts on this? I mean, there's not really that much we can comment on here because... Um, uh, it, you know, <laughs> the announcement is the announcement, right? Well, it's kind of unsubstantiated, as you might say, but the current theory is that they were using Saber Interactive's Russian studio, uh, which actually did work on Crisis 1, 2, and 3 remastered, uh, except for the Switch version, which was done in Sweden. But with, obviously, the conflict happening in Ukraine uh, and the sanctions in play, it does seem possible and likely even that a Polish company like CD Projekt Red would essentially want to back away from such a partnership. Though at the same time, I mean, it's an interesting one because Saber Interactive is a very large company and they have many different branches, but it does seem like the Russian studio specifically was often working on projects like this. So I could see that being the reason, in which case they would have to take back the work that was being done and essentially analyze it and figure out like, all right, what needs to be done? What's missing? Like, what do we need to do here? Like basically taking a half finished project and then completing it. That's, you know, that's a decent amount of work, I think. And they're going to have to pull resources off other projects to get that done. I'd imagine. So I'm not surprised that if they're moving it in house, it has to be delayed. We just don't know how long it's going to take, I guess, right? Yeah, so Alex, we're sort of talking about this project and thinking about Xbox Series and uh, PlayStation 5 consoles. But, you know, The Witch has always had legs on PC. And I'd imagine that if you're going to be doing a next generation patch for The Witcher 3, you would probably want to put a fair amount of effort into a PC port, into a PC version, rather. I mean, especially when you look at what uh, the company did with uh, Cyberpunk. 
I mean, I guess it's still all uh, sort of conjecture at this point, but what would you want to see from an upgraded version of The Witcher 3? So in the CDPR hack, if you recall that, um, there was, you know, leaked file names and things like that, and probably also leaked other stuff that I didn't touch, obviously. Uh, but the, the rumor mill around that was that it was called Witcher RTX internally, <laughs> uh, which is interesting. Uh, so I would assume they would uh, go back in and add in ray tracing stuff into it. And I think the obvious areas of improvement would be uh, changing the way uh, just global dynamic lighting is done. It was done in a way that was systemic in the original uh, Witcher 3, where they had just like light probes around the world, essentially like cube maps, and uh, they were artist place always, and they would be updated uh, based upon the time of day. If you rip that out with another systemic solution, like uh, RTGI, in any one of its many forms, of which there are a lot now, with like the Lumen, the way Metro is doing it, RTXGI, DDGI, blah, blah, blah. There's so many. There, that would be an amazing way to improve uh, the game's visual quality without needing to touch uh, the assets so much so. But, you know, like that's the problem with these uh, remasters in general, uh, and something that we saw with uh, Crisis 1 remaster, I would say more so than any other, is that you have to have a fine hand in updating the assets and the lighting situations and the color grading to actually, I would say, adhere to the original stylistic guidelines that the game set up uh, for itself. And that was less successful in Crisis 1 Remastered. I would say more successful in Crisis 2 Remastered, Crisis 3 Remastered. Um, and I think, honestly, them what, for whatever reason they did bring this back in-house into the studio, whether it be for quality, whether it be for the uh, reason that John mentioned, which also I think seems likely, um, it means they're going to have more control and we're going to have people that are actually care about the Witcher's <laughs> look in a way that, you know, it's CD Projekt Red. And I think them bringing it in house has a greater chance of it being a higher quality uh, remaster in the end in terms of actually looking like The Witcher 3, but just a lot better. Instead of looking kind of similar, you know, like we don't want the Arkham, uh, what was it, Arkham City remaster. Happening to Arkham, yeah. <laughs> Return to wow. Arkham, that's what it's called, yeah. Uh, you know, we don't like that. Uh, so that's what, I, that's what I'm hoping this signals. Uh, but what do you think the uh, possibilities are for the consoles, bearing in mind that what uh, CD Projekt Red actually delivered on Cyberpunk was actually fairly limited? Yeah, um, well, see, see, that game was already really heavy at its base, right? And I think uh, with um, The Witcher 3, we've already seen it running at, you know, like, what is it, like, checker? Board, like uh, 4K on PS4 Pro, uh, you know, it's already it's already pushing res there, even at its medium slash low settings or whatever it's using. It's still a handsome looking game in spite of all that. Um, that's a lot of GPU headroom on a next gen console, I would say, based upon how we know how it runs on things like um, RX 5700 XTs and things like that. So I think, uh, you know, I think they actually have a pretty good chance of implementing uh, a good resolution, output resolution version of ray tracing in there. Uh, another thing I would also really like to see just in general across all versions is a different uh, anti-aliasing solution. Uh, it's fine enough, but it's like kind of rudimentary. It came out around that time when TAA was like in a, like it was still not completely um, standard practice in like the way we see it today. Uh, and you know, 
I guess, you know, but if, if all else fails in the end, uh, Ray Tray Shadows would also be a good way to improve the quality of this game. Because the shadows, they extended into the distance in The Witcher, but they had some severe performance implications if you would turn them up more than, like, let's say, 100 meters in front of the character. And something like Ray Tray Shadows would be more expensive in general, but they would also apply much better to the world and holistically. Yeah, I think Ray Tray Shadows, in the case of The Witcher, would make a lot more sense than they did in some like cyberpunk just due to the nature of the terrain and the foliage you have all those long draw distances tons of like little pieces of foliage and everything it i think it would look really good we have an inkling that this one has been happening for quite some time but uh, rumors are gathering pace that um coming in november we'll actually get to see the new need for speed game from uh, criterion not much is known about it, very little. Uh, there are indications that it's going to be appearing only for the current-gen consoles. Uh, it's not a cross-gen project, which I find quite exciting. But there's not really that much more to say about it. Um, but I guess we're just sort of talking about the potential of what this project could offer and um, the, the potential offered by only running on a current-gen system. John, any thoughts on this? Because obviously, I mean, we're all fans of the Criterion Need for Speed games. Uh, Hot Pursuit in particular. I mean, what do you want from this one? Oof, this is a difficult one because I feel like Need for Speed has had some rough years um, since then, to be honest. I know there was the Ghost Games period, uh, and they've released several, and I don't feel like any of them have really hit. They, they just didn't nail what Need for Speed was all about. And to be fair, Need for Speed has been about many things over the years. Uh, but as, a, as an old fan of those originals, as well as like the Underground era and all that, uh, I really, really hope that there's two things in play here. First of all, they really need to look back at what made these games great in the first place. And I hope they've internalized this and have built a game with that in mind while still taking it in a new direction. I'm sure it's going to be open world. I would love a track-based game again, but you know, I just know that's not going to happen. But that's okay. You know, if they looked at... Uh, I feel like... Taking a, taking a combination of what Forza Horizon does with the classic Need for Speed Underground, for instance, could make for a really interesting combination. Uh, but but beyond that, I think it's pretty clear. So they were pulled off, apparently, to help with uh, Battlefield last year, to ship that. Battlefield was a disaster. I, Electronic Arts knows this. Everybody knows this. It was not good. Uh, it didn't go well for them. And... I hope they understand, like, okay, Need for Speed is still a, a thing. It's a, still a popular thing, and they need to nail this. They can't have this be a battlefield. Now, I think there's less chance of that because it's just inherently l a less complex sort of idea in a way. Well, at least the logistics side of things. You're not dealing with these gigantic multiplayer kind of battles and, like, you know, hundreds of people running around in the same space. That's always a chance for bugs everywhere. Um, but... Between those two things I, and the long development time, I'm really, really, really hoping that they've <laughs> uh, they've they've figured something out here, and we'll get a proper return to form for Need for Speed, focused on next generation machines that allows them to cast aside any of the technical issues that they had faced on last generation consoles. I want to see them go for 60 frames per second. I don't know if they will, but I really hope so. Uh, there's just, you know, without knowing more, we can't say much more than our hopes for it, but that's kind of where I'm at with Need for Speed. So I don't know about you guys. Well, um, we've got this question from supporter Nicholas Z. 
IDF crew with a rumored need for speed game uh, targeting current gen. Are there any new ideas or techniques you'd like to see games try with the greater bandwidth for an open world racing game? Instantaneous switches to the race, replacing loading screens. It seems like a no brainer. Are there any new ideas that could be done or are currently emerging? To John, imagine if this was applied to a new Sonic Unleashed style game. No more stuttering and popping, exclamation point. Uh, but Alex, what do you reckon about um, what is open to Criterion for doing you know, a next generation or current generation only title with this franchise? I feel like uh, I, I'm, I also echo John's uh, that they need to capture some of the, the older spirit there. And I, I, I don't know how they're going to do it, but technically I feel like there are some low-hanging next-gen fruit of things that they could and really should uh, consider doing is I honestly think a lot of racing games these days John is just taking a look at uh, MotorStorm it would be really cool if they had a crash model that was uh, really convincing uh, it's not like this game needs to be a sim racer or anything like that so that some sort of flair in the game via like how crashes occur uh, using for example like soft body physics and having like actual deformation of the car uh, things like that like actual car tires that like you know, compress and move and things like that. I would really love to see that in game. And actually, that's a great way to use uh, the next gen power there. There's the, the other things you mentioned there, Nick, uh, are, you know, I think that's like what we're starting to expect out of a lot of the games these days low loading times, uh, really quick transfers uh, between places in an open world. And I imagine that's what this game is going to be trying to focus on in the end, because, like, let's be honest, that's just like, and vogue right now uh, of terms of how to do uh, like games in general and racing games especially. Uh, one thing though that I'm I'm wondering if like why anyone hasn't done it yet is aren't the last Need for Speed games kind of really trying to be like the Fast and the Furious films like in terms of like visual styling story there's stories there's like stories here um, isn't that what they're trying to do usually I'm I'm just surprised that that. IP uh, has not been utilized so much for a game because uh, uh, they're, they're stupidly popular movies, but it almost feels like that would be a way to do Need for Speed, right? I mean, there uh, was well, Fast and the Furious for Forza Horizon 2. There was a specific oh, been, Fast and the Furious tie-in. But... <laughs> really? Okay. Well, look, if we go back to uh, Hot Pursuit, what did Criterion do? First of all, they stripped out all story, really. Um, secondly, they stripped out the concept. I mean, prior Need for Speed uh, titles to the Criterion one, you start out in a, an incredible car, then for reasons, various reasons, you get bust, bu busted down to like a Ford Focus or a Golf or something like that. And uh, essentially, you know, um, uh, Criterion's approach was to say, this is actually a really bad thing to do to the player. Just give them good cars right from the beginning and lots of good cars. And that's kind of where they went from there. You're, you're not wrong, Rich, but I think it depends on the game. I do think there's value in, in starting from a lower-end car and working your way up. And it's something that I, I actually have an issue with in some modern games. Like, you look at Forza Horizon 5. I love that game. But they're just dishing out, like, supercars left and right, right from the start, right? But they have these lower-end vehicles as well. But you're never really incentivized to use them so that it doesn't feel like there's a real progression there. 
Uh, and I actually kind of miss that to some degree. The philosophy with Need for Speed was that, you know, what is what is the Need for Speed brand? It's about it's about getting behind the wheel of these um, exotic cars and uh, flooring them, right? That was that was their take. But then you look at like Need for Speed Underground, which is awesome and was very popular. I mean, that starts you with like a Honda Civic that you like tune up, right? And, you know, there is there is a lot of fun to be had there. So it, it just kind of depends on what flavor of Need for Speed they're trying to channel here, I suppose. I guess another question, you know, which is sort of a, a, a reason from uh, the points you've made here is that a lot of what Criterion were doing with Hot Pursuit seems to have evolved into Forza Horizon. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> I mean, exactly. <laughs> it is essentially the same formula, but ramped up to, to the nth degree. And it does have technical jobs. I think Criterion are facing a really big challenge here. And um, it's not a big studio anymore, or it ever was, really. So I'm going to be really interested to see what the scale and scope of this project is. And I'd, I'd like to see, you know, a ground-up approach just from a conceptual basis, from an ideas basis, as there was in Hot Pursuit. You know, we had, um, uh, you know, they basically revolutionized the online leaderboard model, um, Autolog. I mean, is there any scope for new ideas? That's really what I'm hoping for, uh, as well as the sort of technical jobs. Do you remember in Most Wanted, they had that system where they would have cars scattered around the world and you could basically drive up to those cars if you found them somewhere and then just immediately switch over? That's a smart idea. Car. There was, it was ve- that game has so many cool things in it. It's very, very slick. Yeah, and you know, a lot of the original staff who worked on uh, Hot Pursuit and Most Wanted are still at Criterion. So that's true. Know, a good, a good like number of them are. That that's true. I'd like to think that they're sort of champing at the bit and have got years worth of potential ideas that they'd have put into this game. And I really can't wait to see what they've come up with. Um, but let's move on to the next topic. Uh, we do like to complain. <laughs> yes, Foundry, and uh, it, but in this case, and I'd say in most cases, there is actual justification for the complaints, and um, we're going to be talking about the LG C2. So here's the thing: all the way back to I guess the B6, we've been championing LG as the brand uh, for your uh, uh, 4K television purchase. I mean, John and I, we've gone through a few LGs. It's just it's just the definitive gaming screen, um, but there were some issues that started to crop up with the C1, and with the C2, it looks like there are some profound issues with the screen, um, possibly more in the sort of niche feature set, but it's certainly problematic. Why don't you talk us through it, John? Yeah, so I kind of want to highlight this to hopefully shine a light on it. Maybe LG will take notice. I'm not sure. So basically what's happened here is a friend of the show, Mark Triforce Duddleson from My Life in Gaming, uh, he's been using an LG C7 for a while and decided, all right, let's upgrade to the C2. Um, Wait a minute, C7, C2. Oh yeah, I guess they just kind of reset the numbers there. We'll get back to C7 (laughs) at some point. It works based on the year, right? We're in 2022, so we're in a two- uh, that's phase. true. That's true. Uh, so just you know, I joined up with him on a Discord call right when he got it, and we kind of just walked through it and and tested all kinds of stuff on it, and it became pretty clear early on that there's some weirdness with the firmware, uh, specifically with a couple areas: uh, input latency and uh, black frame insertion, as well as the actual frame persistence. So, firstly, uh, this is this is probably the most egregious issue is he, he was actually testing the black frame insertion issue and noticed that it kept 
sort of flickering every 10 seconds you would get like a weird flash and he was trying to figure out what the heck's going on here but it turned out that was actually just a symptom of another problem where by inputting certain resolutions and he's not even clear what it what actually triggers it uh the the tv ends up going into a high latency mode where the frames are delivered incorrectly and the actual input lag is like tripled or quadrupled so if you're just in a normal game mode it's normally around eight or nine seconds if you measure the top left corner with like say the uh, I hope that's eight or nine milliseconds yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> Eight or nine seconds lag would be sorry. Eight or nine milliseconds. Eight or nine seconds. Yeah, that would be wow. That would be something. Uh, Yes, eight or nine milliseconds around there. And then once this issue starts to rear its head, he noticed that it goes up to forty something. And at the same time, when just watching a movie is when he first noticed it, but then it appears in games. Essentially, the TV seems to be skipping frames when it's in this mode. Where like you'll like have a smooth pan and then it skips and judders and skips and judders. And the only way to get out of it once this happens is to do a factory reset of the TV. So this happened multiple times to him where it's just the TV gets stuck in this high latency mode. The frames are not delivered consistently. Consistently, It doesn't look right. And then the only way to fix it is to factory reset. And you have no idea when or why it's going to trigger again. So that was extremely frustrating. And I think that's probably ultimately what will, that's the death knell for him on that one. Uh, but also I've mentioned before the, um, also he found one, the peak brightness in SDR specifically, uh, he hasn't been able to match the C7 for some reason, which is unexpected. Now they may have made some tweaks to it. Um, I I don't know what his settings on the C7 are, but he was actually trying to go for that intense, vibrant look, I guess, and was not able to get the, the new C2 up to the same level of brightness. Beyond that, it uses the LG OLED Evo panel. And the weirdest thing you notice there is that when you look at the screen off axis, sort of checking the viewing angles, or there's light reflected off of it, it develops this pinkish tinge. So you'll be looking at like a white screen, you tilt your head to the side, and the screen kind of gets like a pinkish hue to it. That doesn't happen on the older OLED models, the pre-Evo panels. So that's another strike against it. And then on top of that, we already know they removed the black frame insertion feature from 120 hertz content, and it's only a single option for 60 hertz content that's less effective, but still decent enough. But it is a shame that they removed it for 120, so they're basically dialing down the feature that some of us, not everyone, but some of us really, really like, which is a huge deal, I think. Uh, and here's the craziest thing. This is, And this is only going to apply to a select few people, but... You know, he's obviously big into retro games, right? He's inputting, like, the retro tink in there. Often, he likes to use the 1920 by 1440 mode, which is a 4 by 3 resolution. So you would actually engage that, get your pixel scaling right. You set your TV to 4 by 3 mode. But here's the problem. When you engage any other picture mode except for the widescreen mode, the full widescreen mode, the input lag is increased. So basically, by turning on 4 by 3 mode, it goes from like 8 milliseconds up to like 40 or something. And it's just like, why? So, of course, we test, you know, I tested my CX in 4 by 3 It's fine. You know, other people test like the C1, C9, some of the older ones, all fine. The C2, though, it just completely breaks down. 
And I think there's even more. He's actually doing a full video on this with a lot of details, and he's going to reveal what he ends up doing in the end as well. Uh, but I wanted to mention it here specifically so that it's like LG is aware that there's issues right now and that I actually think this might be the least stable firmware they've ever released in the last few years for their OLED screens, which is kind of shocking to me that it would have all these problems like this out of the gate, considering how long they've been doing this. And I do suspect that they will fix most of them and hopefully all of them in time. But it's concerning because you buy this, you have like a limited period where you can return the screen. Uh, but you don't know, like, when is LG going to fix this and will they ever fix this, right? And I feel like this kind of stuff really needs to be highlighted because it's it's a little bit troubling. There should be, I mean, quite how those bugs made their way through to the production uh, unit is is baffling. I'm just wondering whether, you know, when we go back to the CX, which is the, the screen that you and I have got, John, this screen launched when... Uh, Xbox Series X was launching. We know that Microsoft was in close collaboration with LG during that period. You know, um, we were we were given beta firmwares uh, to to test, and um, I'm just wondering whether there's still that collaboration with you know a, a, the maker of a games machine, be it Microsoft. Or it's unlikely to be Sony. I'm just wondering whether you know the lack of collaboration with a with a platform holder might be causing some of the issues here but that said i doubt microsoft would be testing 4 by 3 content on a but even so it is troubling because you know this has been our easy rec the easiest recommendation we have for for uh, equipment upgrade is you know you just go for lg it's the it's the natural route forward you know they make oled panels oled panels are the best you buy an o lg so to get these issues on the new product, specifically where they're removing features as well as uh, introducing these bugs, that's problematic from my perspective. And uh, I'm just kind of happy I got the CX at this point. Same, yeah. Yeah. One thing to, to mention that I, I've been watching HDTV, uh, Vincent's uh, stuff, uh, because he just did a, a video regarding the C242 inch or 43 inch. I always forget how many inches it is. Uh, the smaller, the, yeah. the smaller, yeah, the smaller panel uh, that they're bringing out as part of this. And interestingly, it's not using the Evo panel. Which it's seems like it might actually be a good thing. <laughs> it may be a positive at the end, which is kind of really interesting. Um, so I imagine all, a lot of the firmware stuff that John was talking about applies to it. But from what I understand, that pinking issue yeah, which is a weird verb. I don't want to use that again. Um, when you look at the side and you see the pink <laughs> in the white, uh, you definitely, uh, you, you know, apparently don't get that on the 42-inch model. But all the stuff that John's talking about, including the BFI removal um, from 120 hertz content, completely soured my uh, desire to have this be my replacement uh, monitor for my PC. Uh, because I kind of like the full feature set that John is always talking about and using. That's why I was so interested in that panel in the first place. Uh, and seeing it uh, go backwards in time in terms of uh, feature set and scalability, well, I'm probably, at the moment, I, I'm not going to bite the bullet, and I'm actually going to probably not get the C2 at the moment. So lost a customer there, potential well, customer. Yeah, what a shame. I'm just saying, Alex, 48-inch CX. I know. I could do that. That's you true. You could do that. It would solve could all of your problems. Okay. Oh, um, well, let's move on. That's the end of the news. Uh, we're going to be talking about some content and some other things right now. And we're going to start with um, continuation of discussion that we started last week with Unreal Engine 5. Now, at that point, Alex was working on the raid-faced uh, Doom release. 
So there was a little bit of lag in our coverage. Now we have had a closer look at Unreal Engine 5. Uh, it may well be the case that Alex's video has gone up. But um, this is quite an interesting situation, isn't it, Alex? We've got a situation here where Epic is essentially redefining the rendering paradigm. It's clear that this is not going to be an easy transition. Unreal Engine 5 has been released to developers. Games are in development. Um, potentially game-changing in terms of the style of visuals that we're going to be getting. But certainly in terms of the sample software that we have to look at, man, this is super, super heavy, isn't it? Yeah, it's... Um, so, like, just to... just. At the front of all this, you always have to like read this in the context of what it is. These are not what they're providing on PC as samples are not polished demos released for console. It is not, unfortunately, the level of polish that you'd see of like the Matrix Awakens demo put on, you know, your Xbox Series X, your PS, your PS5s, and things like that. These are just running the stock settings that Unreal provides to you. Uh, that it runs at like it defaults to SG, you know you know, uh, quality settings three, which is high, not even epic or cinematic quality. Um, so, you know, you have to put that in that context. And it's also releasing, uh, you know, on PC, like you're just, you're grabbing the sample and uh, you're exporting it out as a shipping or I've, I've been exporting as development build, which doesn't do anything other than just enable the console, <laughs> for example, uh, which is also very useful uh, for testing things out. Um, you're not seeing a lot of the optimizations a developer might put into a retail game. Like one, I'm not exporting it with any of the PSO creation stuff because it's actually a very complex process and I don't have a week's time to learn it and do it. So there's a lot of things that a developer would do that we cannot do in the allotted time for making a video, let alone what this whole sample is about. The sample is about getting developers uh, used to the uh, creation, uh, the the pipelines, everything in there that is about what Unreal Engine 5 offers and how you can start creating with it. So that's what it's about. But the whole thing is you can export these things as projects and they are visually and, you know, like gameplay wise and all the things in them. It's basically what you're getting there in the city part of the Matrix Awakens demo. It's almost the exact same thing. I found like one or two differences is that sometimes like some of the procedural generation stuff looks a little different, but that's about it. Um, so that's what you're getting. And when you load that up, my goodness, uh, I think the reactions on the web put it <laughs> really well. It's just like, this is so heavy. Uh, it's so stupidly heavy that like, if you're honestly looking out there at any, if anyone's benchmarked this, the chance of them actually having benchmarked a GPU in this are slim to none. Uh, because it's primarily CPU limited, uh, which is interesting. Um, it's worrying that we can talk about that for a bit. Uh, but it's interesting to see that the CPU is definitely being very much so used. I point this out in my video um, for sure. So if you load it up, uh, your experience is first shader compilation stutters. Amazing. Then you, after that, um, you're going to get, you're going to feel the house, what a CPU limited game looks and feels like on PC. And that's what makes it feel incredibly rough. On this GPU wise, it actually is running in a way that I think is very reasonable. Um, but that's the problem is because, you know, when you load up these things on PC, you just don't get that feeling like I'm looking at something that is 
polished next gen, interesting, because you're worrying about all these performance issues. Um, and it just doesn't look good and it doesn't run well. And it, the reason why I'm, I, I, even with all that context in the end, and I talk about it in the video, of this not being a production, uh, you know, release at all. It's not a retail release or something like that. But it does have a number of issues in it that point out things that make me a little worried about Unreal Engine 5 performance on PC in the end, even if, uh, you know, uh, games are going not to, going to be uh, striving for this exact level of visual quality. Uh, the one thing that really has me worried is actually uh, the way CPU scaling is in general. Uh, in my video, I, I pointed out some bit about how AMD's uh, hardware ray tracing performance is really weird uh, due to CPU performance here. But in general, um, even on NVIDIA, uh, you're seeing this issue where the game scales really well. Uh, the sample, Unreal Engine 5 sample, scales really well with uh, CPU frequency and not cores. And the thing is, ever since about 2000, uh, let's say 14, you know, 2014, 2015, CPUs have been getting a lot, lot, lot wider, quicker than they've been getting um, faster on a per thread basis. And we're reaching limits of that with, you know, uh, five, seven, six, three nanometer. We're just going to be reaching limitations of frequency uh, and things like that. And seeing a game targeting next gen or an engine feature set, you know, this, uh, this metahumans, this uh, large scale content, the way ray tracing is handled, seeing it scale more with frequency and a lot more with frequency than it does with uh, thread count uh, is actually not very good. And that's not what you want to actually see out of something targeting next gen or current gen uh, in, the, in that way. And I'm a little worried as a result of that, that games are, that are going to target 30 FPS with Unreal Engine 5, which I actually do think is still the target for Unreal Engine 5 based upon everything I've seen, um, that they're going to scale at least initially in a way on PC that we're not used to seeing with PC titles, um, where getting 60 FPS is not at all easy. Um, I'm really worried about that regarding Unreal Engine 5 on PC. I don't know how you uh, look at this, John or Rich, but I love the, the rendering tech being on, sh on showcase here. It scales vis visually on PC in a way that I like usually, uh, but like the, the CPU performance of the sample does, you know, it's a lot of question marks there. What, what exactly is going to happen in real Unreal Engine 5 releases? We are kind of moving back towards old school PC in a way though, <laughs> you know, like this is how PC gaming used to be. Uh, it was never for years just like load up a new game and bam, you get 60 FPS, no problem. It, you know, it wasn't that way until like the late 2000 period, I would say. But that doesn't mean like there. I think you're absolutely right on the money about a lot of these things, and I think the CPU threading issues in particular. Uh, I hope those are solved because I'm a little surprised by that. How heavy it is on the CPU. Like I don't know what was your max frame rate. Uh, like with actual cars in the street, yeah, <laughs> with like actual with with the demo actually looking like the demo's supposed to look. I don't know. It's like maybe like fifty, but that's like you know it's constantly going down to like thirty and then fifty. It depends on like what's in view. Scaling the resolution way down, like I did like you know twenty five percent. It doesn't look great using TSR, and I found that with my CPU, I was maxing out at about sixty five frames per second, uh, and that's using an i nine twelve nine hundred K, right? And most people playing PC games aren't going to have a CPU quite like that. And it was, you know, at that point, you know, it was hitting the limits of the CPU. 
So it does feel like unless they significantly optimize the way that the engine is threaded, we're just going to have a lot of people <laughs> really struggling to get decent performance on there. And then it's going to be about the main thing is like people are probably going to have to accept 30 FPS caps again, uh, at least temporarily. And also I am more concerned though about the shader compilation stutter. Like, I don't know if we can fully judge that here based on this demo, but this has been a significant problem with PC versions of games running on Unreal Engine 4 for years, right? I mean, every time a new game comes out with Unreal Engine, Alex loses a little bit of hair because he just, you know, he can't stop pulling it out of it. He's just going crazy. Uh, and he's right. It's very, very, very annoying when your first experience with the game is kind of compromised by this constant stutter. And there is a real concern that it's going to be even worse in Unreal Engine 5 because they're just pushing the the volume of, of shaders up through the roof, it seems like. And just the way Unreal's material system works, it almost seems like it's a problem that's going to be difficult to manage. Uh, talking to different developers, I mean, the ones that have managed to solve these shader compilation stutters have basically focused from the very beginning, the early point of development, on essentially defining limits on what artists should be doing with shaders and like this is where we can use it but don't go overboard with all these permutations you know try to keep this stuff in check because if you just go crazy with it by the end of the project suddenly you're not going to be able to fix the issue right uh, without like baking out all this all this data or just doing like huge super long shader compilation uh which by the way i, I haven't actually tested this i don't know if you guys have is it true that the Modern Warfare 2019 on PC has the option to like do like a full shader compilation pass and it takes like 20 to 30 minutes. Yeah, it does. And it allows you also to, if I recall, uh, allows you to also decide whether you want to do it for multiplayer or single player. I, I may be thinking of another game, uh, actually. Uh, but, you know, like putting that into the hands of the user seems really forward looking. Modern Warfare, that's really what really well done. I like that because, you know, not everybody's affected by these stutters, right? It's bothersome to us, but some people don't care, and that's fine. But for people that really want their first experiences to be good, I do think developers should provide options like this when possible to basically allow you to prep your PC before playing the game, almost you know, like a, like a second installation, if you will. Uh, I think it's worth it to have the better experience. I don't know. What do you guys think? I think uh, more options for PC gamers can only be a good thing, right? And, um, you know, what does the developer lose by, by doing it? I mean, I guess the one thing to bear in mind is that due to the nature of Unreal Engine, I don't think you can pre-compile every possible shader. You know, you're going to be talking hundreds of thousands, possibly. Um, so, you know, but, you know, you can certainly mitigate it. And Epic has mitigated it in Fortnite. You know, they include uh, uh, shader compilation, um, within Fortnite. So, you know, it, it definitely mitigates the issue there. So, you know, it should be doable, right? But um, I'm just sort of disappointed that games and so many games from Unreal Engine have shipped in this state with nobody thinking, hey, this isn't, this isn't good. What can we do about it? I think the Ascent made a, a pretty good effort to, to fix the issue. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, challenging right i mean this isn't the way uh, the, the thing is why does uh, um, an enthusiast gamer go for pc that you know they go for pc because they've got the funds available they want to invest it in hardware they want to have the best possible gaming experience right and 
it doesn't seem to matter what kind of hardware you've got, you're going to be running into these issues. And um, obviously we had the issue with Elden Ring, which wasn't on Unreal Engine, so it's not specifically related uh, uh, to, to Unreal Engine only. It's simply just the popularity of UE4 is such that it's, you know, so many of these games have actually shipped with these issues. And I think it might be a QA, uh, it might be problematic for QA because, you know, you see a stutter, you go back to retest it and there isn't a stutter anymore because the, the shader has been compiled and cached. There's no quick way to essentially reset that, right? <laughs> I think I've yet to do all these things. There's a lot of things that I've been doing. I've been for a couple of videos now, and I actually did it just recently for this Matrix video, is where I, I clean out the driver and I just let it run again to show off the issue and I show them back side yeah, by side. But that's not it's like, actually, that's, the, that's not that quick. It's not so easy, but there's technically <laughs> using the, uh, the Windows uh, cleanup, you know, like what you've been able to do for years now. If you actually go to the advanced options there, there's the DX, the RectX shader cache which you can clear, but that may not clear all of them because sometimes games uh, put them in different places, you know, uh, they put their shaders in different compiled places in different shaders areas. So, so it's hard to, but the quickest way to do it is actually um, just a full on driver wipe. Uh, and that, that does it, takes like five minutes on my end. Um, I, I'm just really curious though, Rich, like what do you think about the CPU performance, because I do think like seeing a next gen engine and these features that we're talking about here, it's like these are the things that they want developers to use. And that's the whole point of the sample. Uh, they want to show the open world. They want to show the massive instancing. They want to show the, the AI populating it. Um, even if you take the AI out of the equation, which I also show in the video, you still see this uh, threading and frequency issue. Um, what do you think about that, Rich? I'm like really curious. <laughs> what do I think about it? Well, it's problematic, isn't it? Because, you know, pretty much since the arrival of, um, well, actually going back to PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360, um, the biggest gains that we've seen from CPU utilization have been to basically soak all available threads and cores and uh, to kind of mitigate uh, single thread performance that way, right? Whether it's job space solution, whatever. And um, typically games on the PC become unstuck when they are reliant heavily on single core performance, right? Because the paradigm has changed. And um, I think it changed significantly with the arrival of uh, Ryzen 1000, where it wasn't so much about performance single cores anymore. It was about parallelization. It was about having lots of cores. And obviously AMD has improved performance, single thread performance. We do have really capable processors now, and that is actually causing me even more concern because, you know, we're looking at what, you know, 10th gen core, 11th gen core having issues. John seems to be okay with 12th gen core, but you know, the proliferation of those processors at the moment is really, really small. I just am wondering what the decision-making was and whether it is simply due to the sheer size of Unreal Engine with all of those different components in there that integrating everything into, you know, a, a well-threaded uh, system might be just overly challenging, right? Also, like the reliance on Blueprint and whether or not uh, Blueprint... And, you know, that Blueprint's all about being easy to access making, you know, uh, you know, essentially, uh, what's the, the phrase, like scripting and easy to use things in a visual manner, but it doesn't necessarily lend itself to being perfectly multi-threaded is another thing that I'm uh, 
always a little bit worried about, like the ease of development, also making games just like so so stupidly inefficient at the same time. So I, I don't know. It does strike me as bizarre because basically, um, at a minimum, we should be looking at an engine that's basically utilizing at least six and a half cores, which is what PlayStation 5 has available for developers, um, and which rises to seven on Xbox Series X. So, you know, these are the baseline now. Uh, for the the new era of gaming and um, to, to rely on a you know, to, to see such well things we don't really know that it is relying on single thread it's just the what the performance characteristics are of this demo so maybe there is there is more to it than meets the eye and I think the other thing of course is that um, yes the sample isn't a shipping product but also I don't think Unreal Engine 5 is anywhere near its final form at the moment even if it is on general release now to developers I still think that you know in the next year or so we're going to be seeing rapid improvement in in performance simply because it has to be more performant if you look at the Matrix Awakens um, even though that is seemingly extremely streamlined compared to uh, what we're seeing on PC at the moment it's not a good performer you know, it still has a lot of issues. There's still a lot of technologies that need to be optimized within UE5. Still a lot of challenges to to uh, to overcome there. And I think it will be solved simply because a it has to be, and b the talent that Epic has available um, is is just phenomenal. But in the here and now, you know, obviously it's it's just indicative of the state of play as things are, and you know, right now. Uh, but hopefully not when it comes to final shipping games. Yeah, next year, Unreal 5.1, the Meat Cube is back. <laughs> That's what I want to say. Fair enough. <laughs> okay, let's move on to our next topic. And um, John, you're still working on DF Retro Motorstorm. And uh, I'm really looking forward to this, having seen uh, some of what you're up to. But one thing which is interesting, which is that you know, how do you best play these games today? And obviously, they're still PlayStation 3 exclusive. The only way to improve that initial showing, I guess, is to use emulation like a RPCS3. And uh, you've been quietly impressed with that, right? Upfront, I will say I'm not a huge user of emulators. I respect them and they're important, but I don't really enjoy playing older games on an emulator for a variety of reasons, and I don't think that they often look their best that way. That's fine, whatever. Plenty of disagreement there. But there is a line where that changes, and I think it's on the PlayStation 3 era, where you're starting to get to these more modern-looking games that are actually genuinely constrained by the resolution choices uh, and some of the rendering characteristics of the machine. Like, PS2, for instance, is designed for a CRT. It looks really good there. It's very, very crisp and sharp. I feel like when you try to emulate that on the PC, it the higher resolutions actually kind of ruin the illusion to some degree, and it's just it's not quite great. An emulation on PCSX2 is not great either, to be honest. But our PCS3, though, my goodness, what an amazing... Uh, <laughs> piece of software. I hadn't fiddled with this much until this project, but I am now a believer and I'm absolutely floored by the results. So first of all, this week I finally got into testing it with the AVX 512 stuff available on the recent Alder Lake CPU by disabling E-cores in the BIOS and enabling this. And it doesn't seem to be a huge gain for most applications, but uh, RPCS3 specifically can take advantage of this, and 
it's basically allowed me to play a bunch of PlayStation 3 games at 4K 60 frames per second with 16xAF. It looks incredible. Um, like Metal Gear Solid 4 is one I, I tested, just tested as well. It's it's nuts. It's like it finally realizes the vision. It's full 60 FPS now, uh, because the game was originally unlocked anyway. But there's there's plenty of patches out now for various games, including Motorstorm, uh, which I look at in the video. And I think they just said this week that now our our PCS3 can boot every PlayStation 3 game. It doesn't mean they're all playable. It doesn't mean that they even necessarily get past the logo for the boot up. Uh, but every game now boots to some degree. And a lot of them are extremely playable. And Motorstorm, I would say, is up there. Well, Motorstorm, Pacific Rift, and Apocalypse, not Motorstorm 1. That has that has some pretty nasty issues, which I talk about. <laughs> uh, but I don't know. I mean, have you guys fiddled with this at all? Because it's... I, I know you've tested on the Steam Deck, at least but I'm just kind of blown away by, by what's possible with a really high-end machine. Yeah, I think you're seeing it in its best possible light, John, with the 12900K, uh, with AVX 512. Uh, I mean, I've tested our PCS3 with uh, the PlayStation 5 CPU uh, within the Ryzen 4700S. It's not pretty. MotorStorm Apocalypse, I did try that one. It's a slideshow. You know, it, it's not great. Um so, yeah, I mean, it is the case where you could get phenomenal results with a really high-end CPU, but I think the um, uh, the the PlayStation 5 is kind of like Zen 2, and um, that's not great for, for RPC S3. There'll be some games where you get some tremendous wins. For example, you know, Ridge Racer 7, no problem 4K60 with that, no problem whatsoever. Uh, however, once you get into anything that's really utilizing the SPUs, it just grinds to a halt. Uh, I think I have to do a video on on that, and maybe we should, maybe we should combine forces so you know we can actually see what this emulator can can do when it has the hardware to really stretch its legs, because that is the future, right? I mean, that is the way things are going to be, you know, once these uh, super performance CPUs become more commonplace. But in the here and now, it's like, you know, if you're on a Zen 2 CPU Ryzen 3000, it's, 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 there's going to be some games that run well. There's going to be a lot of games where if you use patches, you can get good results because what they're doing is effectively, um, many of them are effectively removing SPU post-processing in order to boost performance. You know, uh, I think the big one is MLAA, which was, um, that, yeah, that was distributed across, I think, five SPUs five milliseconds uh, processing time per SPU running in parallel. That's a huge amount of computational um, load being put onto the CPU via emulation. It just doesn't really work. So a lot of games are simply removing MLAA and, you know, suddenly you're doubling performance. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm really impressed with what they've done here. And I have been talking to the developers um, when I was doing that, that that work with the PlayStation 5 CPU, a bit of expectation management was put in place following those conversations. But also it was fascinating to see uh, just how far it's come and how performant it is on high-end hardware. But there are still games uh, like Far Cry 2, for example, that will really hammer performance, even on a high-end. Yeah, um, apparently it's just because of the flood of draw calls that that game is doing. Um, 
causes causes issues. That was what the developers of RPCS3 told me. But you know, I'd love to play Motorstorm at 4K60. I'd love to play Killzone 2, uh, 4K60. I mean, it just reminds me that there is a library of incredible games on that system which have kind of been left behind. You know, one of the big things I'm finding with PS3 is that the 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 largest detriment to its image quality isn't necessarily the resolution, it's the way they filter their textures. Uh, it's like every game just uses like trilinear filtering. So textures just become soup, like almost immediately, just blurry nonsense that you can't hardly parse. Whereas you look back at PlayStation 2, and I understand the critiques of this, but most PlayStation 2 games actually don't use mipmaps at all. It was possible, and some games did, but most don't. And that does create sort of a noisier, shimmery look, but it also gives you this perception of more distant detail uh, that actually looks pretty good in a lot of games. And I think PS3's trilinear filtering has aged a lot worse on that actual hardware. It ends up just kind of ruining the visuals of so many games. And Motorstorm is definitely there. Like Pacific Rift, it's a great-looking game, but man, when you put on 16xAF, it's like lifting a veil off everything. Even if you're just at 720p still, it's just, wow, what a difference. I'd really love to do more uh, investigation into this. And I actually think maybe we should be doing a video of uh, Metal Gear Solid 4 running at 4K60. I was thinking that too. I I feel like that's something to really showcase because it looks awesome. Uh, And it's Audi's favorite game. Yeah, Yeah, right. Exactly. (laughs) I, I have found though, what's interesting is that there are still some slight micro stutter issues in spots that VRR completely cleans up. Because I had been playing with G-Sync for this, and I was like, man, these games are flawless. They feel perfect. And then I had to capture them, and I was like, oh, okay. There's actually still some little dips here and there where the milliseconds uh, crawl up to like 18 or something for a frame for just a brief little period. So you get little bits of skips in the performance. Not a huge deal, but they're there. Uh, VRR cleans all that stuff up. So there's yeah, definitely well, a good use case for four. On PS3, not so much micro stutter as macro stutter. <laughs> macro stutter. <laughs> oh, I like this. I, mean, I like this one. This is good. The uh, the frame times on that game are kind of nuts. Well, they use like a double buffer VSync, and like you can go from like looking at the sky and it's 60 FPS, and then you turn around and look at a bunch of particles, and it's like 20, and you're just like, <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> it's, I really uh, want to see that. Pretty bad. Engine. Yeah. You know, yeah. I that's need to, funny, I need to like, work on that then. With PS3, I don't know why they did a double buffered V-Sync. It does seem like a Japanese dev studio kind of thing, honestly. Just like, that's what they did. Triple buffering was difficult. I, it was it was done a lot on PS3, actually, but it it, was, it required a bit more memory, which is already kind of a uh, limited thing. That's what I was going to say. Like, oh, they're saving 15 megabytes or something like that. Like, they're, they're, sa- they're saving the size of one frame buffer extra, uh, which... Honestly, if you only have like maybe like I don't even like after like resources were taken away like from the OS, how much VRAM did the PS3 actually have? Did it have the full 256 or was it less? I don't Do you know. guys know? I don't know actually. where the uh, system allocation came from. Up uh, until uh, like during the early years on PS3, if when you were in game, you couldn't actually get out to the OS. You still like at all like you would just hit the menu button and would it just so like quit game turn off controller turn off system and that's it on a black screen eventually they allowed you to access some functions of the xmb from the game but it was very slow and not very good i would say uh and most things required you to exit the game to access it 
So I don't think they actually dedicated that much to the OS level because it doesn't seem to be doing a lot while you're playing a game. It's not like PS4 or Xbox One where you could actually back out to the OS menu and do stuff and then go back into the game. There was there was a, an onerous system allocation in terms of uh, memory that developers couldn't access there. It was always like 32 megabytes on Xbox 360, but it was it was I think it was at least 64 at one point on PlayStation 3. But it did get better across the generation. But they had that stupid split memory configuration on PS3 as well, which yeah. everybody yeah. complained about because it's like you got two <laughs> pools of 256 megabytes, and it's just like that system, man. What a weird time. <laughs> but you know what i actually you look back at the library now especially like i feel like that was still like the sony from the ps1 and ps2 era there's a lot of really interesting creative quirky games from their first party studio and i feel like everything got very serious and cinematic with the ps4 in a way that i'm kind of bummed out by you know what i mean Okay, we're going to move on now to support a Q&A. And very quickly, um, we've got a big bunch of Steam Deck questions that I do want to address. And uh, because we're pressed for time, I have to do it quite quickly. Uh, number one from Simplex. What is your opinion on Steam Deck's high-pitched uh, fan whine? Uh, were you able to verify that there is a quieter variant with another fan? Does Valve plan to do anything about it? I love my deck and I'd love to use it in bed but it already, already managed to wake up my <laughs> wife once. <laughs> For me, the non-uniform high-pitched fan wine is Deck's fatal flaw. Look, we haven't done any um, big investigation into different fans, but I would suspect that they're all the same, right? Because, you know, it's a production line, fundamentally. Um, there is uh, a video out there showing that the uh, development kits seem to be quieter, but, you know, we can't verify that. It could be a fan curve thing, though, right? You know, like, that can change between... Uh, you know, Possibly, I don't know. Yeah. And, um, you know, the thermal characteristics of any given processor will be different, which could have an impact on the fan noise. But um, yes, it is loud. Actually, not so much loud, but high pitched, which is the issue. And um, it is, you know, a problematic. I think we've said that before. And yes, my machine does it. And I guess yours does too, right, Alex? Oh, yeah, it does, for sure. Okay, yeah. fair enough. So maybe I mean, the solution you know. is to get like a large diameter fan. You shove a little screwdriver <laughs> down in the vent so you block the fan <laughs> on the Steam Deck so it can't spin. And you just make sure you play around the other fan. Yeah, yeah don't, exactly. don't, don't do that. I'm Let's just... do that. Let's do that. <laughs> uh, we've got a couple of questions here, which are broadly the same thing. And I think I covered it in the, um, the next generation tests. Uh, first one from a four-eyed geek, Steam Deck and image scaling related. Would Steam Deck or other platforms benefit from games having a native resolution UI with the 3D graphics at a lower resolution scaled up? Um, I'm going to truncate the rest of that question because it's very similar to the next question. Hi, DF. What are your thoughts on the upcoming technologies regarding upscaling via FSR 2.0 or Unreal Engine's TAA solution regarding the Steam Deck's resolution? Are we might... Are we able to run games at a much lower native resolution like 360p and still expect an acceptable image quality at such low resolutions? Thanks for your thoughts. I think it's covered in the video, right? I mean, um, looking at Metro Exodus, she uses TAAU. And also there was a bit of footage in there of Ghostwire Tokyo using um, TSR. Uh, and of course, Flight Simulator, TAAU. Uh, first of all, I think they're upscaling to 720p from like 504p actually looks really good blown up within that video, but it actually looks even better on the handheld screen. So absolutely those technologies um, uh, could be deployed 
to increase performance on Steam Deck and um, a four-eyed geek talking about the native UI um, and 3D graphics at a lower resolution scaled up. Well, that's typically, that's exactly what FSR integrated well and TSR and TAAU are doing. The idea is that persistent elements are at native resolution and the 3D elements aren't. That's that's kind of been there pretty much since the Xbox 360 era in terms of upscaling. Don't know if you've got anything to add to that, Alex, but you know, absolutely FSR 2.0, provided it's performant, will actually do really good stuff based on what we've seen with other games using similar techniques. Yeah, uh, the one thing is that uh, there just needs to be a proliferation of this being a standard thing in uh, PC options menus. I honestly think it is in a lot of games now. It's pretty, you're, you can really often find a resolution scaler option in most games, but sometimes you don't. And even Unreal Engine titles, Unreal Engine 4 titles, which it's offered, it's been offered natively actually since Unreal Engine 3 days uh, as, a, as a function in the engine don't expose it in the UI, in the menu. In which case, uh, for something like Steam Deck, uh, you're going to have to dip into the INI file and just add in a line or two uh, to do what, exactly what you want. Yeah, I think the other takeaway is uh, dynamic resolution scaling, as we saw in Metro Exodus. Um, that would be a big win to actually have, you know, basically anything that works well on a console should be in the PC port, right? Because it adds scalability for lower end systems or higher performance on higher end systems. So, you know, absolutely. Um, and the final question, uh, quite an interesting one here from Beth Stalvey, Stavey. Um, hey guys, I've really been loving all the Steam Deck coverage and I'm really surprised by how well games hold up. I've been wondering about how direct storage or whatever Linux equivalent could do for performance in heavier titles like the UE5 demo. Presumably this should drastically reduce the CPU overhead, which should not only free up performance, but also power budget for the GPU. Why didn't UE5 release with direct storage to begin with? Would, would there be a win there, Alex? I don't know, because it depends on how the streaming from disk is being done at all. Because not every game will stream from disk in the exact same way, let alone on Unreal Engine. Um, and if it is doing, I guess the thing that uh, Beth here is hinting at and with uh, the pointing at direct storage is the assumption that bringing stuff off of disk into memory is also using decompression, and that's running on the CPU. Um, uh, and as uh, like the full, the not released version of direct storage should have a version of uh, GPU decompression in it, which would which runs much faster, obviously, um, and will bring much more data more quickly than a pure CPU decompression scheme, which games could be using. Under that assumption, and a game's performance was limited due to CPU performance, due to it constantly decompressing things, which I don't think is what we've at all evidenced in Unreal Engine 4 or 5 titles, let alone any title on PC yet, um, then that would be indeed a way to increase performance. But in general, I would say um, the... Uh, until, like, I don't think the games have been developed in this way yet. I don't think a lot of games are, the limiting threat thing in performance is CPU decompression. Like, maybe it was when, like, Rage came out uh, all the way back in the day on id Tech 5. That could have been, like, if you upped the page file size there on PC, you could definitely see some CPU limitations. Uh, but games aren't haven't been designed that way. Uh, so... I don't think this is actually an issue in games, and I don't think it would really help the Steam Deck, but in the eventuality of time, 
uh, of games actually pushing more because of the existence of direct storage, I don't know what's going to happen on Linux. I actually don't know because I don't think there is an equivalent there of GPU decompression. They, they already have a different call stack anyways, but it would be doing it through Proton. And I don't, I just don't know how those line up. And I don't know if there's a direct storage equivalent for GPU decompression on Linux. Okay, further supporter questions. And uh, it's a return for my favorite Patreon hacker alias. It's agonizing rectal pain. He's, He's back. back. Yes. <laughs> He returns. <laughs> and, or they uh, return. As Excuse usual, me. he's got actually a highly focused and uh, interesting question to ask. In contrast to his amazing handle. Uh, how do you guys think the increased focus on CPU power in current gen consoles will affect game design trends going forward? Asking in regards to visual slash technical design as well as gameplay concepts or even games slash genres that could have better representation on consoles this gen? It's an interesting question, right, John? Because um, in this cross-generation era, essentially the CPU power is being used to develop like 60 FPS at 100 FPS modes. Um, I guess with Unreal Engine 5, we're starting to see CPU power actually being properly utilized towards you know, a new paradigm. But what do you reckon about this question? So Alex and I have been discussing recently while I'm looking at MotorStorm, that period in the about 2005 to 2008 or nine, where developers were really experimenting a lot with physics and simulation aspects and all sorts of things to sort of uh, increase the um, granularity of interactions with the world. And then that sort of dropped off and we've just seen fewer games really push this. And I feel like this extra CPU grunt comes at a time when that actually might be genuinely useful again. And I would love to see more developers tap into that and attempt to bring back physics simulations. Like I couldn't believe it this week. I'll be honest. Like when I'm playing MotorStorm Pacific Rift and found out that all the foliage actually has touch bending, uh, which again, not, you know, not unrealistic or anything for that time period, but it's just cool to see that in a racing game when you don't see that anymore. Like, most foliage today, it's like it's designed so like when you collide with it, it just like sort of like pushes it over, just kind of stretches it. It's not really a really complex physics interaction. And we've lost something there. And I think this is due in part to the Jaguar CPUs and those last generation consoles. And then game development has become very multi-platform. So PC games then were usually derived from that as well. And they're not going to implement these more complex systems in there necessarily. But once we leave those last generation consoles behind, perhaps there will be room to utilize uh, such features once again. And I hope we see it. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I am reminded, Alex, of your Far Cry 5 versus That's Far what Cry I was just 2. thinking about. Yeah. yeah. Yep. <laughs> it was basically, again, I think it is a, a factor of hardware balance, right? The PS360 era was very heavy on CPU. And then the balance shifted with the next systems where it was, you know, a gigantic, comparatively gigantic CPU paired with low power CPU cores. And I think GPU, things are, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's 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 kind of the balance has changed once again. I think we've probably got a far more balanced system. I, I think the balance seems pretty solid now. It is funny, though, to look at the PlayStation 3 era specifically and that the PS3, the RSX is so underpowered that many visual effects had to be run on the CPU on that system. Uh, this, the cell seemed like a pretty decent CPU for the time. 
it was a really interesting design. And in fact, the core of Cell is what was used in Xbox 360 for its tri tri core CPU as well. So like they were doing good stuff on the CPU there, but the GPU side, well, on PS3 at least, was pretty lousy. Uh, despite what Jensen says in that 2005 conference. Jensen, uh, you liar. He, he was wrong. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, so I it is true. I think Series X, PS5, they're far more balanced now compared to the last two generations of consoles. You know, just speaking personally, I'd like to see a return to the classic Assassin's Creed formula, which was only really ever a thing because of the, um, the skewed... Um, uh, balance of the Xbox 360 specifically, right? Had a really good CPU. Ubisoft looked at it and thought, hey, wow, we can make this game that's, you know, literally never been seen before. That's kind of what I'd like to see returning. Um, obviously, with Unreal Engine 5, we're seeing CPU really stress tested in a way that we haven't really seen for a long time. I don't know. Any more examples, Alex, before we move on? I want to see a return to physics-based gameplay uh, that we saw in um, Red Faction. Oh God, oh, what's the name of it? Gorilla. Uh, I always forget Gorilla. the subtitle. Not Armageddon. The it's one Gorilla. before that. Gorilla. Yes, uh, Red Faction Gorilla. I want to see that. Uh, you, we get hints of ideas like that in games occasionally, but for that, the entire gameplay loop. Let's be honest with you. Was just like destroy everything, uh, and that's awesome. And the fact that it was done on Xbox 360 ran well enough there. I mean, not perfect, obviously, but um, it scaled really well on PC. That game has a pretty interesting PC port, actually, back in the day. Um, I would love to see that again. We haven't seen that in a while. Uh, we get hints of that in games, but an entire game based around that, kind of like the way Breath of the Wild is based around its weird systemic stuff. Um, yeah, I guess you know, you're right. I that, would... that is pretty systemic. That's a good example. Yeah, right? So, like, I would like to see that where a game designs around those things. The only thing is that I don't know how you pitch it uh, to a developer, uh, uh, for, to like publishing houses where there's, you know, there's obviously trends in game development. Um, you know, we, we saw our Destiny likes, they all failed. Um, and then, you know, we saw, you know, everything trying to be Fortnite, trying to be a battle royale. I don't know if it actually fits into the AAA paradigm of actually securing funds for a game. Maybe from Microsoft with Game Pass, I don't know, uh, but you know, I don't know what what makes this game come into existence. With a really strong demo showcasing like crazy physics being directly tied into like a gameplay concept, I bet they could sell that. Cuz that that kind of stuff just wows people, right? You could still you could still make a gif of something from Crisis and people be like, "Whoa." It's still amazing. Like yeah. the the, well, the, you know. the barrel demos. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, you know, my suggestion would just be go back to Assassin's Uni uh, Creed Unity and say, hey, we can do this now. Strip out the bad work. stuff from Unity and you'd have something. It could be really interesting. Ultimately, it's about having a vision, right? And it's about showing people something they've never seen before that's really exciting. And absolutely having uh, an increased focus on CPU power could enable that, but it does require a vision. Right. And obviously with the UE5, we have one such vision and it is heavy on CPU. But hopefully we'll see more going forward once cross-gen is uh, done and dusted. I want to see more interactions in UE5. I know it's focused on the visuals right now, but all the demos are super static right now. You know what I mean? Like Matrix demo, you know, the Valley of the Ancients or whatever it's called. It's all like, it's just like window dressing and it's beautiful. It's super detailed, but you know. 
I, I haven't seen that much from Unreal Engine yet that suggests that there's they're really pushing this in a new direction in terms of physics and interactions. So they kind of, I mean, I want to give them the benefit of the doubt because their chaos physics system, they switched over from, they switched over from PhysX, from, you know, NVIDIA's PhysX library to chaos. And, you know, the, apparently in there, there is some really cool stuff. It just has really yet to be shown in a way that is really awesome. And I don't, and I don't know exactly how many people will base their game around that because it, currently hasn't been a buzz it hasn't been like the the thing that they advertise the engine with it we saw a tiny itsy bitsy tiny bit of it uh in the in the matrix awakens demo with the way cars function but um which i liked i do like it um but you know i want to see a game that's like all about that i love that stuff that's the stuff that i love games for like simulation i love it uh, this one's from dac Hey DF, love your videos and content so much, exclamation point. Here's my question. With the rising popularity of dynamic and slash or AI-driven optimizations like DRS, DLSS, and VRS, is it only a matter of time before we see some sort of low-cost, low-latency frame interpolation technology that can boost the frame rate of a game at the engine level? Many televisions already offer high frame rate interpolation to various degrees of success, but it comes at a significant latency cost. Do you think we'll ever see such a technology built into game engines, perhaps to push a 30 FPS title to an AI interpolated 60 FPS without a noticeable sacrifice to quality and latency? So Alex, um, one might argue that DLSS in improving performance is kind of halfway there already. Uh, if you if you had DLSS producing a 2x performance increase, then that is 30 FPS running at 60 FPS. Um, but I think there have been some papers from NVIDIA or hints from NVIDIA that they're working on something like this or something related to this, possibly. But do you think the concept has legs, basically? Yes, I would say it definitely does because DLSS is still limited by the power of your CPU to produce more real simulated frames. And this is all about not simulating, well, maybe not simulating a lot of the frame, simulating maybe parts of it. Let's say like vertex updating their position or something. I don't know, or maybe not even that. Uh, maybe it's just purely on the GPU. And that is where I think there's a lot of scaling potential. Uh, how good it can look is another question, but I think it would be really good in the way I see it. I think 30 FPS gaps in frames are really big, and I don't know how well that could be done. But I think 60 to 120 or 120 to, say, 360 or 500, uh, where, like, like Blur Busters always talks about it, like getting those frame rates super high, which is usually impossible, uh, but so you can get like really good motion persistence. That is the way I would love to see this technology be used for, for getting really amazing motion persistence on PC. And I guess on console there as well too, if the game's hitting 60. Uh, but that's the way I would like to see it. I don't, I haven't seen any more recent research on it, uh, but I think NVIDIA has hinted at it for a while that this is something they're interested in. So I would love to see it. John, I don't know. Wouldn't this require at least like an, uh, an just an extra frame at the very least added to the latency chain, right? Like, I probably like yeah. I feel like you you need to you need source data for this to work, mm -hmm. and I feel like inherently it's always going to be slightly more latency. But I guess that's also true with stuff like triple buffering, and it's just one of those things you have to sacrifice to get live there. with, right? So mm. yeah. I don't know. I I like the idea. It could be really interesting.
I do remember, Alex, that you uh, you tweeted words to the effect of this, and uh, one of the key the key guys behind D- DLS just just replied to it saying, hmm, "Yes, very interesting." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so well, like I, I like I do confirmed. think they are looking at it, and I, I still can't find this video. People keep asking me for it, but I did see a video. I'm not hallucinating this of DLS or DLL DL deep learned principles being applied to. Uh, uh, make motion blur for a game, which is literally the exact same thing as faking frames. So it's totally doable. I just think they need to find a use case and a way to advertise it if they actually have it working so far. And, you know, NVIDIA always needs an acronym and they always, you know, they need a way to push it uh, in some way, some sort of, and maybe that could be with their next line of GPUs that they push a new paradigm DLFBS. There we go. We've got yeah, we've got DLFBS now, which I would actually love as an acronym. I would <laughs> laugh so hard if that. Was I'm, I'm just job. laughing at this concept that Nvidia have developed this game-changing technology, but haven't released it because they don't have a name for it or an acronym <laughs> for it. Exactly. It's, I mean, this is like peak games industry. Yeah, it is. Yeah, jeez. Okay. Let's move on to the next question. This one should be quite simple to answer, and it's from Alces. Cerny uh, said that the PS5 would have raid-facing hardware inside, but I've never heard anyone talking about it, and there's little online that I can find. Can you clarify what exactly does the PlayStation 5 have in hardware to support raid-facing? Well, when I spoke to Mark Cerny about it, he was he didn't go into depth on it. He just said it's pretty much how it is on PC, which in turn will be pretty much how it is on Xbox Series S. So I suspect that it is almost certainly the same hardware, um, simply with a different API. I don't know if you've got anything to add to that, Alex. It's repurposed TMUs that have perhaps a tiny bit of extra logic in them that allow them to process Raybox and Ray uh, triangle uh, hits. And that's it. Um, they That is what it does. And the rest of it, uh, the traversal part of ray tracing, as in, the structure's already been built of like where geometry is, and it's been put into little boxes. And that all stuff is still built on the general compute area. So I think the, the extra bit of hardware that this LSS is uh, mentioning is the ray triangle intersection unit, uh, the intersection unit, uh, which is a small repurposed part of the TMU, as far as I understand. Yeah, that's actually RDNA2. RDNA2, yep. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Final question. Uh, this one from race car spelt backwards. <laughs> I'll, leave, uh, I'll leave you to work that one out. Uh, a good one here for John, I think. Hello there, folks. I just bought the so-called, so-called, I just bought the so-called OG Xbox. Which games would you consider technological highlights on the system? Can't wait to explore the titles that never made the jump to back compat. Love your content, especially the long-form retro material. Best wishes from the Netherlands! Exclamation point. John, favorites. Oh, yeah. The so Xbox. there's a lot of cool. The so called OG Xbox. The so called so OG Xbox. Yeah, there's a lot <laughs> of great so tech on there. Uh, two that I always start with, actually, are Reckless, the Yakuza missions, and its sequel, Japan Only, Double Steel, the Second Clash. So these two games are basically sort of like spiritual successors to the Runabout series. So they're driving around big cities, you know, doing crazy stuff. But man, uh, I forget his name, but one of the lead rendering programmers on here was really known for like pushing everything that you could do with those NVIDIA GPUs at the time that was in the Xbox. So like GeForce three level hardware. And there's just so many visual effects in here. 
uh, just awesome looking depth of field and and cool like post-processing effects everywhere and just cool materials work it had like fully dynamic shadows which was super rare for the time and then the sequel double steel 2 actually runs at 720p so it's an open world game it has an hdr pipeline internally it runs at 720p uh, it's it's really impressive to see what they were doing at the time. Like it's just super technology. Uh, beyond that, I would also say Rare did some good stuff on there. Specifically, I think Conquer's Bad Fur Day, the remake, is a really beautiful game. Like just gorgeous environments, uh, great character rendering. None of the performance problems of the N sixty four version. It's a really great remake. Uh, also Riddick, I'd say, deserves a shout. It's one of the first games, might be the first game I've ever seen that uses dynamic resolution scaling. Uh, it, it has like full um, shadows, like the stencil style shadows like you see in Doom 3, uh, which is also on Xbox and pretty impressive. But Rick's great because it has that full body awareness so you can actually see, you know, like all the hands and body and interacting with the environment. It's very fluidly animated, but it makes great use of light and shadow. So I definitely recommend that. Anything from Team Ninja, so like Dead or Alive games, of course, Ninja Gaiden, those are just gorgeous still today. Great art direction, super smooth, 60 FPS all around, widescreen support. Uh, a weird one that I want to recommend is actually Kakuto Chojin, which is from Dream Factory. It was actually like pulled because it used like there was some some reason behind it, but it it was pulled from the market. It's a mediocre to good fighting game. But I think it has a really cool visual style that still holds up today. And it's just, it's it's a neat looking game. And I think a lot of these guys had worked on The Bouncer, if I recall. So that's definitely worth it. Uh, I don't want to say too many more, but I, one more I would shout out is Otogi by From Software. Which, especially the first one, I just love the way this game looks. Like the use of depth of field and the lighting and all the shader tricks they're doing there. It's just a beautiful game in motion. Uh, it's essentially like this like dream-like ninja world. Where you're like launching yourself up in the air with all this kind of like... Uh, it's very elegant in action. So definitely worth taking a look at. So, And honestly, that's just scratching the surface. There's so many other games. But those ones, I feel, are all very polished and they run at smooth frame rates. And, you know, like, of course, the Splinter Cell games were very impressive, but the frame rates are less so... Uh, you know, Halo itself was impressive. You know, I love all the stuff from Sega on there. Outrun looks awesome. You know, JSRF. It's just Panzer Dragoon, of course. Orta. That's absolutely stunning. What frame rate do the, the Mech Assault games run at, you know? Who did them? No, who, what frame rate do they run oh, at? Oh, they're, they're 30. They're 30? Yeah, that sucks. Yeah, it's yeah. also uh, Project Gotham Racing 1 and 2. Yeah, yeah I, mean, I think PGR 1 is actually the holds up better because it actually runs at 60 frames per second. 2 is just yeah. 30 mm -hmm. with no motion blur because it wasn't much of a thing at the time. And it looks very detailed and it actually uses anti-aliasing, which is cool. But yeah, That's PGR cool, 1 for me. Man. So yeah, absolutely. This is actually a really impressive library of OG Xbox titles out there, and um, it's uh, there is a lot of licensing issues in bringing a lot of this content. I think you mentioned Jet Set Radio Future, which is a brilliant game, which I suspect will never be available via back compat, which is a real shame. It's just but, not. Gonna, you know, it's not feasible. All those music licenses, especially Japanese music licenses, it's just it's a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> 
So yeah, hopefully that's plenty of uh, titles for you to be chasing down there. Uh, but that's it. That's the end of this particular show. Uh, please do like, subscribe, share if you enjoyed the content. Ring the bell for those notionally instant notifications. You may or may not get instant notifications. That is my disclaimer. Be uh, a supporter program. Get involved. Submit questions. Join our amazing community. Get tons of bonus bonus material. You can hang out with bonus. Alex and agonizing rectal pain. <laughs> it's the dream. <laughs> and uh, yeah, obviously, if you're on the retro tier, you're going to be getting access to that uh, Motorstorm uh, retro episode. It might even be available now. Um, but yes, that's it. That's our show. And uh, we'll see you next week. Okay, let's move on. We're going to talk to... Um, let me do that again. Okay, let's move on. We're going to be... Okay, we're going to...